want to ask you to take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 5 as we continue our study through the book of Hebrews. Kind of got uh, trapped at uh, chapter 5, verse 11 and following. And I want to speak this morning and next Sunday morning on the subject of a warning to the heart of hearing. We were riding back from Mobile yesterday and my daughter was in the back seat and she said something to me and I didn't hear it. She said it again, and I still didn't hear it. And finally, my wife tapped me on the shoulder and said, Honey, and I said, Huh? Growing up in the 60s, I listened to my music real loud, like God intended it to be. And so uh, there are some ranges in hearing that, that sometimes I don't hear as well as I used to. When Wayne Watson was here a few weeks ago, we were doing sound check, and I was sitting down on the front row, and he backed away from the microphone. He said, you know, he said, I, I've, I've lost my, my hearing at 4 dBs. Now, if you don't know what a dB is, let me just explain it simply. It's the level of volume, like a jet will be about 120 dBs. Typical sound in this room will be 85 to 90 dBs. He said, I've lost my hearing at about 4 dBs, and I don't remember who was sitting by me, but I turned to him and said, I didn't even know I had hearing at 4 dBs, much less would know when I lost it. It told me how sensitive his ears are as a musician trying to pick up sounds and trying to pick up things that most people would normally pass over, he's sensitive to the fact that here is a small level in his range where he no longer hears. And sometimes that happens to us spiritually. We may think we're listening to God, but in reality we've lost our hearing in an area of our lives. And so consequently we don't hear and God keeps calling our name and keeps speaking to us, but we don't hear it. Now, I want to read some verses from Hebrews 5, verse 11, and I want to read it out of the message translation uh, because it has some good phrasing in there that I want to use, Then we'll go back to New American Standard when we look at the verses in general. Uh, the message reads this way. I have a lot more to say about this, but it is hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. And yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one, baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature, who have, practiced, who have some practice in telling right from wrong, verse 1 of chapter 6. So come on. Let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. I want to ask you to turn your attentions to the screen. We found somebody to help you understand this a little bit. Wait. 
I met a guy one day, and he said, I, I've just finished my first book. I said, really, what would you write on? He said, oh, I didn't write one. He said, I read one. <laughs> and I plan to read another one next year. Sometimes we don't want to grow up. And, and we want to stay in a spiritual nursery and have somebody spoon-feed us. These words written by the writer of Hebrews are written to aimless believers, people that have lost a sense of purpose, that have lost a passion, that they have no evidence of growing to where they need to be and should have been by this time. Jesus has been gone now for maybe 50 years, and they should have grown up and matured. This second generation of believers should have been developing, and yet they were still down in the basics. The writer's trying to deal with some great truths, and all of a sudden, he has to put the brakes on. He's talking about Melchizedek, and he's talking about Jesus being our great high priest, and, and he looks out over his congregation in his mind, and he, he sees that there, there are lights on, but nobody's home. They've got this deer-in-the-headlight look. They've got this, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, and yet they should have had a clue. They should have known what he was talking about. They should have been ready to embrace these deep theological truths, and yet he was having to back up to skim the surface. The ABC news, newscaster Ted Koppel spoke at Duke University a number of years ago, and he made this statement. He said, in place of truth and absolutes, we now have ambiguity. And I want you to listen to this next sentence. He says, society finds truth too strong a medicine to take undiluted. Society finds truth too strong a medicine to take undiluted. And what has happened in classrooms and in pulpits across America is we have begun to dilute the truth because we're afraid that either somebody can't grasp it or they'll be offended by it or it will run them off. We've forgotten the great message that God has given us, the undeniable message of Jesus Christ. And so what we have is what has been commonly known as the dumbing down of America. And we're trying to bring our schools down to a level where everybody makes A's. And we're trying to bring our institutions of higher learning down where anybody can get a college degree, whether they work at it or not. And the media gives us mindless entertainment where you can turn on your television, watch 160 channels, and never have to think about any of them. Where you can just put your brain in neutral Politicians tell us not what we need to hear, but what we want to hear. You will not find a politician tell you the truth about where Social Security really is because he's afraid of losing votes instead of telling people what the reality of the system really is. And so people are duped into thinking because a guy gets in front of a microphone and says it's going to be okay that it's going to be okay. And politicians will say anything to get elected. And some preachers will say anything to keep their pulpit. And we've dumbed down America. We've gone to this mind in neutral mentality where we don't want to think, we don't want to read, we don't want to study, we don't want to be challenged. We just want to kind of coast through life, make a lot of money, retire, and then mind our own business. 
And what the writer here is doing, and we're only going to get through the first point this morning, is he's giving us an unmistakable observation. I mean, you cannot miss what he says here. Verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now look at the quote there by Jimmy Draper in your notes. He says, The Word of God is alive. It is growing. It is constantly enlarging and expanding. We can never exhaust it. We can never study it too much. We can never plunge to its depths. The writer of Hebrews wants to take them into deep water, but he realizes he can only go into shallow water here. There are a lot of Baptists that are Brill Cream Baptists. Those of you that were raised in an earlier generation, know what Brill Cream is. The, th the theme for Brill Cream was a little dab will do you. And that's the way we approach God. A little dab of God will do us. Just a little spot, just a little Bible study here and there, just a little bit of the Word, but, but I'm not really interested in going into the depths of the Word of God. Now, notice what he says. He says, I've got a lot to say, a lot to say about Melchizedek, a lot to say about Jesus being the high priest, which is one of the major themes of this book, but it is hard to explain. That phrase means it's hard to interpret for you. It's hard to get past the casual glance. It's hard to get beyond skimming the surface, kind of like a rock going across a pond. It, it, it's hard to get, get you past skimming the surface and just dealing with the basics and dealing with the elementary things of the faith. It, it's hard to get you to go into deep water. I have a friend of mine who uh, took a friend out on a boat at the, in the reservoir in Mississippi, and he said, you know, I discovered something. All the moccasins that would be there to bite you and kill you are in shallow water. When you go to the deepest part of the reservoir, you don't have to worry about the snakes. It's in the shallow water that you worry about snakes. And the reason some of us fall to sin and fall to temptation is because we're trying to fight the devil in shallow water and we've never gone deep with God. There are no deep truths that will ever come to shallow saints. If you and I want to walk in the depths of what God is doing and what He is and who He is, then we have to get into deep water. Now turn back to chapter 2 and verse 1. Remember that was our first warning. Chapter 2 and verse 1 was the first warning about drifting away. And the writer says it is crucial, it is vitally important that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. Now, you go back to chapter 5, and what is he accusing them of? He's accusing them of being dull of hearing. He told them in chapter 2, keep a firm grip on what you've heard. They obviously weren't. They weren't keeping a grip on what God had said to them. They were treating the Word of God casually and flippantly, and they had become dull of hearing. The word means to be sluggish. It means to lack an appropriate sense of purpose. When a person is dull of hearing, they lack an appropriate sense of purpose. In other words, they don't know why they're where they are and they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They lack a sense of purpose. They lack the passion, the anticipation. Now, this word dull is only used two times in the New Testament. 
It's used here in Hebrews 5, and then it's used in Hebrews 6 and verse 12. The word means simply to be thick or to be slow or to be passive. The original word comes from two words which mean no push. Some of you have, either with your kids or with your grandkids or at your work, you're always having to push somebody to get them to do what you want them to do. This is a word, a person who is dull in Scripture is not someone who is mentally retarded. The person who is dull is someone who has no initiative to do anything any differently than they're already doing. They have no push in them. They have no drive in them. There's no passion in them to do any more than they're already doing. Now, Proverbs chapter 22, if you just want to write down in your margin, Proverbs 22 verse 29 in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses this word dull, and it translates it in an interesting way. It translates it as obscure men. Obscure men. In Proverbs 22, it is in contrast with kings. It says that if a person is dull, they're an obscure man in contrast with kings who are prominent people. Now, why would that word be used that way? Very simply. If I am not on track with God, if I'm not listening to God, obeying what He's saying to me on a growth pattern in my life, then from an eternal perspective, my name and my life is obscure. It's not headline material. It's not newsworthy. It's not noteworthy. My life is obscure and suddenly I, I don't have any significance in my life because my significance from God's standpoint is wrapped up in me becoming like Jesus Christ. So if I am not prominent in putting myself on a path to grow, then I am an obscure person. And so let me give you some truths to grasp. There are three. Truth number one, age alone doesn't produce maturity. Age alone doesn't produce maturity. You and I can grow up and grow old and not mature. Just because we get older doesn't mean we are necessarily wiser. Just because we've got years of experience doesn't mean we've learned anything from it. I've got some pastor friends who they're in a new church about every 18 months to two years. And I say to them, you know, tell me about your experience. Oh, i got 30 years experience. No, they don't. they got two years experience 15 times. That's all they've got. You, you, you interview somebody at your work and they say, well, I, I've got 25 years experience. Well, how many different places have you worked? 25. Oh, you just got one year of experience, and after that, you're out of gas. You don't have the experience you think you have because you've not done something long enough to know that it's produced something in you. You see, age can produce wrinkles, but it doesn't necessarily produce wisdom. Job chapter 32 and verse 8 says, It is not mere age that makes men wise. Someone has said the problem of today is that the saints are marking time instead of marching forward. Marking time instead of marching forward. Not every young person is foolish. 
And not every senior saint is wise. Any of us who have been in church for any amount of time know that there are people who have been in church a long time, but they still have baby habits. Just like the video, they still want to sit and cry that they be fed properly, fed on time, let out on time, let they be able to do everything they want to do when they want to do it, no inconvenience, no adjustments, just do for me like you would do for a baby. And in reality, when we pout and whine for our way, that's exactly what we're doing. We're acting like babies. And babies know if I cry loud enough or if I scream loud enough or if I throw a big enough temper tantrum, I will get somebody's attention. Now, let's just be honest. How many of you have met some adults who act like babies? The rest of you have not been awake. They are everywhere. They permeate our churches. Churches are filled with spiritual toddlers who have been saved 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years but have never grown up in the things of God and the church will never be what it's supposed to be as long as the church ignores that problem or excuses that behavior or just says, well, that's just the way they are. Paul said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So the question you should ask is, if that's just the way they are, have they ever had a new nature put inside of them so that they're not the way they were raised, they're the way God saved them to be? You see, it's very easy for us to make excuses, and sometimes some of the saints have prolonged adolescence and just make a transition into premature senility. We don't grow up. We grow old, but we don't grow up. We may have a Bible, but we don't know it. We may talk about prayer, but we don't do it. We don't share our faith with anybody. We don't move along in our faith. Second thing, not only is age alone doesn't produce maturity, but the Word of God demands an attentive audience. The Word of God demands an attentive audience. Now, I can remember some college and seminary classes, especially some college classes, where it was all I could do to pay attention. I tried to take, I keep trying to tell my oldest daughter this, I tried to take all my classes I could in the morning. I started at 8 o'clock in the morning. She said, Dad, why do you want to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning? Because I only had one class in four years of college afternoon. You know, this idea of, you know, college is bad enough, but going until 3 and 4 in the afternoon is even worse. You know, I got out of high school, so I wouldn't have to do that. You know, and I would sit in these classes, and I would hear this stuff, and I would just think, okay, just tell me what I need to know for the test. Because most of what I took in college doesn't have anything to do with what I do today. Not one math course I took because God made calculators. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to remember that stuff. Now, some people do for their job. I don't. As long as I know that one plus one equals five, I'm fine. But you see, we can sit in a college class and say, oh, I don't have to have this. I don't have to remember this. One comedian has suggested that he's going to start a five-minute university. And in that five-minute university, he's going to tell you everything that you need to remember that you got in college after you get out. 
it'll only take him five minutes. Now, the Word of God is not that way. The Scripture says that we are disciples, which means we are learners, and we never graduate from learning about the Word of God and what God has to say to us in His Word. Sometimes in Scripture it uses the sword imagery. One of the images of, of the Word of God is that it is a sword. Turn back to chapter 4 and verse 12. Chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, the word living and active just simply means it's not outdated. This is not a textbook that has to be revised. There's nothing new to add to it. It can be translated in different ways, but there's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take away. There's nothing that's invalid over the course of time. This is not an outdated book. These are not dead words of a bygone area. It is, it is living and it is active, which simply means it does what it's supposed to do. The Word of God cuts some and it heals others. The Word of God is a sword. It takes us apart but it also takes out of us what we don't need there so we can put into us what's supposed to be there. It's living, it's active. Ephesians 6, 17 says, talks about the Word as a sword of the Spirit. Three times in the book of Revelation, it's called a sharp sword proceeding out of the mouth of the Son of God, which implies that the Word of God is given to us to judge our hearts and our lives that when we read it, we don't just go, oh, well but it says something to us, and more importantly, it does something to us. It cuts us. It changes us. It tells us, here's an area you don't need to have in your life. And sometimes we sleep through it when God wants us to be awake and to hear what He has to say to us. He wants us to pay attention. Ron Dunn told me about speaking in a church in the state of Georgia. I will not name the city. You may have been there. He said, I was speaking in this church and this lady came in and sat on the back row and he said, five minutes into the sermon, he said, you could hear it throughout the whole building. He said, I got through with my sermon and I went to the pastor and I, he, I said, uh, do you know who that is? He said, oh, she does that every week. I thought, you know, surely somebody can put her in the foyer. <laughs> you know, where we don't have to all listen to her snore. And yet sometimes we may be sitting in church with our eyes open, but we're not listening. We're not hearing what God has to say to us. Thirdly, it is time for some to grow up. It is time for some to grow up. I remember when, uh, when our kids were younger and we would take them to theme parks. And, and if you go to a theme park like Disney or Six Flags or anything, there's always some little munchkin figure there and it's got a, a measuring stick somewhere about this tall and you have to be this tall to get on the ride. Now, isn't it amazing that when we come to church, sometimes we want to duck down so that we don't have to measure up? Because if we know we're supposed to do... And if we do it, then we're held accountable for how we do that. 
And so sometimes we just want to duck down and get under God's measuring stick and get out from under the authority and get out from under the Word, and we're literally sluggish in the ears. It's an acquired condition. We just don't listen anymore. Look at the quote by Richard Baxter in your notes. He was a great Puritan preacher. He said, make it your work, and he's talking to those who listen to sermons. Make it your work with diligence to apply the Word as you are hearing it. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further than they are carried as by force. You have work to do as well as the preacher and should all the time be as busy as he. You must open your mouths and digest it, for another cannot digest it for you. Therefore be all the while at work and abhor an idle heart in hearing. Now let me ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because... What the writer of Hebrews is dealing with is not a new problem. Remember, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. It's not written in the same style as Paul. It could have been Barnabas. It could have been Apollos. Not really written in the same style that Simon Peter wrote in the original languages. So we don't know who wrote it, but there's a common theme in these letters. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh or carnal, as to infants in Christ. Now remember the church at Corinth had all the spiritual gifts, but they had all the problems. No church had more problems than Corinth did. And yet they prided themselves on their giftedness. They prided themselves on all the things that they were, on all the learning that they had. But Paul comes to them and says, I can't talk to you like a grown-up. I have to talk to you like an infant. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able yet to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. Should have been, but they weren't. Turn to chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14. And verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. In other words, just be in it. When it comes to evil things, you don't need to know all that. Be an infant. Be innocent. But in your thinking, the battle that we fight is in the mind. In your thinking, be mature. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. And then you'll turn back a couple of pages to the book of Galatians, Ephesians 4. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to them about their inheritance in Christ and the riches that they have in Christ. In Ephesians 4.14, he says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Turn back to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. Paul agonized over this church. The Galatian church was full of legalism. And he was trying to break them out of the bondage of legalism for them to understand who they were in Christ and what Christ wanted to do in them. And in verse 19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth 
Why? Until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. All Paul's saying is they should have known better. This theme runs throughout the New Testament. This is not a new problem to the church in America today. It is a problem that the church has to constantly address of not growing up, of not listening, of not hearing, of not applying what God has to say to us. He says, I, I want to change my tone, but you're not listening to me. Those of us who are parents remember when our kids were little, there were certain tones that we had to use to get their attention. There's a certain level that you needed to go to to get their attention. There's a certain thing you would have to do to get their response, to get them to wake up and to realize they're serious. Some of you, it was when your mother called you by your middle name. You knew, uh-oh, I am in big trouble. Paul says, I'm trying to get your attention. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn there if you would. 1 Peter 1. Simon Peter challenges them as obedient children, verse 13. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. One of the great things that came out of the Great Awakening in the 1700s was an interest in shorthand. Shorthand became popular to study after the Great Awakening because people wanted to come to church and write down as much as they could of sermons. And so it, was, it is said of historians, you won't read this in most secular history books, but if you go back and read the history books of those times, it is said that it was not unusual to see masses of people walking into church with an inkwell strapped to their side and a feather quill pen up on their ear, ready to go in and to write down whatever God said to them during that service. It was one of the great outgrowths of that revival. It is amazing how many resources we have today. We have concordances and word studies and Bible dictionaries and Bible handbooks and computer programs that do a lot of work for us. We have all kind of lexical aids. We have Bible studies that we can attend, ways to study the Bible, books on how to study the Bible. The problem is that the church in America today is resource-rich and biblically poor. We've got all of this stuff, and we're doing nothing with it. Ninety percent of Christians have never been in a Christian bookstore in America. And of the majority that have gone in, they go in to buy pictures and jewelry and greeting cards. That's why you go into a Christian bookstore in this town or any other town, you will find a very small, in fact, the smallest section will be for commentaries and word studies. There will be a massive section for the Left Behind series. You know why? Because we like fiction better than we like truth. 
We're more familiar with characters of fiction than we are with the saints of the Gospels. We know more about stuff that we think is truth, but we've never studied the truth enough to know what's fiction and what's truth, and some of us don't know the difference between Left Behind and the book of Revelation, and others don't know the difference between Paradise Lost and the book of Genesis because we have not been students of the Word of God. That's why heresy and error come in. That's why you can watch religious television, hear eight different guys say eight different things, and I've had people actually do this to me, say, man, they're all great. And I mean, one guy is over here theologically, and the other guy's over here theologically. They're nowhere close to each other, and the people think that they're in agreement. And they're not even close. But a lack of discernment leads them to the point of not being able to see the difference between error and heresy and truth and wisdom. Now, the first warning that he gave them, now let's look at the progress here. The first warning that he gave them was that they would neglect the truth, drift away from the truth. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That's his first warning. His second warning is in chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Don't harden your hearts. So he says, if you neglect the truth, if you don't get that one, the next step down the ladder is that you're going to harden your hearts. Now he's in chapter 5 and verse 11, and he says, if you've neglected the truth, if you begin to harden your hearts, which is what you will do if you drift away from the truth, then the next step is you won't even hear God's voice anymore. When he speaks, you won't hear it. You'll be spiritually deaf. You'll be dull of hearing. You'll have plateaued. You will have hit the lid as far as you can go in your spiritual life because you're not listening to what God has to say anymore. And so notice the, the downfall, neglecting the truth, hardening your heart, spiritually deaf. And all across America today, there are people by the millions who will sit in churches today, but they are spiritually deaf, not stirred by the things of God, not burdened by the things that God is burdened by, not sensitive to what God wants to do, not worshiping with their whole hearts, failure to bring their Bibles, failure to listen, failure to respond, and it characterizes multi-millions of people who go to church today. The problem is we've trivialized that which is important. Read the quote in your notes, if you would, please. Donald McCullough says in his book, The Trivialization, Trivialization of God, visit a church on Sunday morning. Reverence and awe have often been replaced by a yawn of familiarity. The consuming fire has been domesticated into a candle flame adding a bit of religious atmosphere, perhaps, but no heat, no blinding light, no power for purification. When the true story gets told, it may well be revealed that the worst sin of the church at the end of the 20th century has been the trivialization of God. Would you pray with me? Some of us are here today and God has been speaking to your heart in the matter of salvation. You know that God has told you that you need a personal relationship with Him. 
You need to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have broken God's law, that you have violated God's word, that you have sinned against God. Not that you've just done bad things, but that you've sinned against God. Today, we want to give you an opportunity to find a way that you can come to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Just a moment when we begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to step out from wherever you are, in the mezzanines, on the floor, wherever you might be in this room. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today needs to be the day that you do that. Don't wait for another day. Don't wait for a better time. This is the best time for you to do that. God is speaking to your heart. Today, he says in Hebrews, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't put it off. But there are some of us who are believers here and we may have been saved six months or a year or many of us have been saved for decades. But it's been a long time since God stretched us. It's been a long time since we've asked God to grow us up into maturity. It's been a long time since we've said, Lord, I'm tired of status quo. I, I want to go deep with you. I want to go deeper than I am with you. I want to know you more. I want to know you better. I want to have that intimacy with you that I've never had or maybe you used to have and you let it go. I'm not talking about a camp experience. I'm not talking about a, a fleeting emotion. I'm talking about humbling yourself before God and saying, God, you know me and I've come to church today and I'm a spiritual baby. And I ought to be on meat. I ought to be grown up right now, but I'm a baby spiritually. And I need to grow up today. I need to begin the process of quit being a boy and start being a man, of quit being a little girl and start being a lady. Godly ladies, godly men, seeking and desiring, longing for the things of God. These prayer rails are at the front for you so that you can come. Now just stay where you are but by an act of getting up and coming, you say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not just going to sit and listen and think about it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get my heart back in tune with God. I'm going to listen to Him and what He has to say to me. So I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to ask you to stand after we pray. And the minute you stand up, some of you need to begin immediately to walk down these aisles and make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you need to begin immediately. You may be 80 years old. You may be 20 years old. I don't know how old you are, but I know God's spoken to people in this room, and there's something you need to do in a public way today to say, Lord, I'm tired of sitting in diapers. I'm tired of sitting in my immaturity. I want to grow up. So, Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to touch people's hearts, to change people's lives, that today we would not be hard of hearing, but we would listen to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for Path to Truth. If you would like to learn more about Sherwood Baptist Church here in Albany, Georgia, you can explore our website at www.sherwood-baptist.org. If you would like a copy of today's service, please send us your name and address to Path to Truth, 
2201 Whispering Pines Road, Albany, Georgia, 31707. Once again, that's Path to Truth at 2201 Whispering Pines Road in Albany, Georgia, zip code 31707. If you're requesting a videotape of the service, please enclose $10 with your order. If you would like an audio tape of the pastor's message, enclose $3 with your order. Remember to include your name and complete address, along with your telephone number, and be sure to ask for the tape number that you see on the screen. We would enjoy hearing from you by mail or by phone. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. And we hope you'll join us next week at this time for Path to Truth from Sherwood Baptist Church.